Are you guys ready today to jump in? Luke chapter 1, if you've got a Bible, grab one, pull one off the rack in front of you. We are going to continue our journey with Luke as we discover God in our midst. This story of the God of the universe come into our midst to offer us grace and hope and peace and life with Him. Today we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 45. And this morning we're going to look at a really special relationship. And we're going to use this, this little scene to talk today about relationships that help us surrender to and more fully follow God. Relationships that help us surrender to and more fully follow God. And so as we begin this morning, I'm going to ask you to do something. And I'll just say right off the top that some of you in here are going to love this. And some of you are going to hate this. And I'm just acknowledging that right away because those of you who are haters, I want you to know. I know that you're going to hate this and I don't care. No, I do care. But sometimes it's it's good to do things that are uncomfortable for you. So here's what I want you to do. If you're here this morning and you're with us and you are a Christian, you are a declared follower of Jesus, I want you to think right now about one person. Just find in your mind one person in your life who is responsible for helping you become a person of faith. As you sift through names, think about maybe someone who led you to the Lord or someone who has helped you process through tough questions or difficult issues. Think about someone who, through close personal friendship, has played a significant role in you learning to trust and serve Jesus in your life. So, come up with one name for me. Alright, if you're here today and, and you're not a, a Christian, you're not a Christ follower, you're just checking things out today and maybe right now you're having trouble coming up with a name because you're not even sure you get the question or even sure that there is a God who would use people in that way. That's okay, we're glad you're here. I want you to think about, about something else. I want you to think about someone in your life who has helped you become curious about God again. Chances are if you're here, it's because something is stirring in you Um, Or at least someone pressured you. Uh, And so think about someone who's helped you re-engage this journey or re-examine faith in Jesus or at the very least come to church today. So everyone right now should have one person in in their minds, a name, a face kind of floating through your brain. And here's what I'm asking you to do. I want you to find someone around you, someone in the vicinity of where you're sitting, not the person next to you, not the person you came with, not someone you know really well. In fact, look for someone you don't know well. And I want you to spend two minutes, two minutes sharing this person that you're thinking of. That's one minute for you and one minute for the other person. So some of you, I, this, if this is for you, listen up. Don't be that person who takes all two minutes just to talk the whole time. So take about a minute or a little more. Um, share about your person, how they influenced and have impacted your life, and then give the other person a chance to share. Make a new friend, introduce yourself. I'll let you know when we're about halfway through so you can switch, all right? You down for that? You up for that today? Okay, here we go. Ready? Break.
Give me your name. Judy. Nice Dave. I'm free. Are you from California, right? I am. Where? Um, Ventura. Oh. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's not as cold there as it is here, but. I don't, I, I'd love to chat with you more, but I have to go lead the service. But I just wanted to say hi. Good to see you guys. All right, we're about halfway home. We're about halfway home. You should be flipped. Switching conversation. 60 seconds. Alright, we're almost there. Wind it up. Finish that thought. Alright, and time. Time is up. Pencils down. Please place your number two pencil on the desk. See, that wasn't so bad, was it? How many here uh, enjoyed the person you spoke with today? How many here felt like maybe you made a new friend? How many didn't really care for the person you talked to? (laughs) Of course, the high school kids take that as an opportunity. All right, Luke chapter 1, we're starting in verse 39. This is a section of Luke where we're going to get a chance to dive into what I think is just an extremely special relationship. And this little scene that we're in today is often referred to, has been, throughout the generations as the visitation. And which makes it kind of sound like some sort of a freaky sci-fi thriller, which is not what it is at all, but it's named after this famous painting that Rembrandt painted in the 16th century. So for you art buffs out there, I threw that in just for you. The visitation, Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 45. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Let's back up just for a moment and consider all that has happened in our story so far, in Luke's story. Do you realize that we're not even yet one chapter in and there has there have been so there's been so much activity. A guy named Zechariah wins the priestly lottery and gets an opportunity to go in to the temple, into the, the holy place, and serve God there. A phenomenal opportunity for any priest. We saw an angel visit him while he was in there. An angel appears and speaks to him. Then he is miraculously struck with silence because of his lack of faith. Then he 
comes out of the temple, gets reunited with his wife, and this couple that is well along in years is able to give birth after years and years of infertility. Then last week, Pastor Matt walked us through as we had another angel visit. We have another miraculous pregnancy. But this time, not only is the mother a virgin, she's pregnant with the Son of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. So yeah, so far in our story, there's been a lot going on, especially for this young teenage girl named Mary. 14, 15 years old, and her world has literally been turned upside down. And as we dive in today, I just want you to think for a minute how she must feel. Imagine the emotions and the feelings and the thoughts running through her mind. Imagine how she feels with all that is happening in her. Excited? Terrified? Thrilled? Confused? Confident? Anxious? Nervous? Hopeful? Privileged? Awestruck? Afraid? Probably some of all of that. But listen to what she does. Listen to what she does right after the angel, an angel from God, appears to her and gives her this amazing news. Listen to what she does right after that. I'm going to read verses 39 and 40 again for us, this time from the message. Mary didn't waste a minute. She got up and traveled to a town in Judah in the hill country, straight to Zechariah's house, and greeted Elizabeth. You know what I love about this part of the story? I love how Luke goes out of his way to tell us that Mary got ready in a hurry. That instantly, that right away, that she does not waste any time in going to see her friend. Friends, how about you? Who do you run to when life gets too big to shoulder on your own? Who do you call when the challenges and obstacles in your life seem almost paralyzing? Who do you rely on when God offers an opportunity so big that you're not sure you can handle what He is asking you to do? Do you have an Elizabeth in your life? Someone you can turn to in an instant. Someone you can go to the way Mary goes to Elizabeth in this moment. And let let me say something here about this word greeted, because the word greeted or greeting, this greeting they have, it shows up three times in this short passage alone. First and foremost, it's, it's in verse 40. It says, she, that's Mary, entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. This greeting, this moment, this interchange, this interaction that these two women to have, it is at the very center of this scene. This is, in fact, the the catalytic event of this entire passage. And by greeting, we do not mean, hey, what's up? This is not a, how you doing? Or a, you know, yo, Liz, what's happening? How you doing, sister? This is not one of those types of greetings. A greeting in the ancient Near East, in this world, in first century Israel, especially after a long journey, would have been a very lengthy dialogue, often held in private. This greeting that these two women have together is Mary and Elizabeth for hours and probably hours talking about what has happened and what is happening and how they're feeling, sharing fears and thrills and dreams and questions with one another. These are two women in the the throes of the highs and lows of seeking to follow God. This is a much younger Mary 
asking an older, wiser Elizabeth how in the world she was going to do this thing she had been called by God to do. And you see, friends, right off the bat, there is this air of openness and transparency and vulnerability between these two ladies that I believe is far too absent in the lives of too many Christ followers today. When was the last time? When was the last time you sat with someone and shared hopes, dreams, joys, sorrows, successes, callings, achievements, fears, and failures from your life? When was the last time you sat and shared the deepest parts of your soul with a trusted brother or sister in Christ? Friends, relationships that help us surrender to and more fully follow God continuously and always seek honesty, vulnerability, and transparency. And I've chosen these words intentionally because this is not a one-time moment in the life of a Christ follower. This is something we must continuously and constantly pursue if we truly want to have a deep and growing relationship with God. This is not extra credit. This is not an optional activity. This is something we must embrace. I was in a gathering this week. A bunch of leaders from Cedar Mill Bible Church had my wife and my family and I over to a home and we had dinner and then we shared and we're just talking about the church and where we are and where we're headed. And one of the people there pointed out that church is often the place where people are always fine. People in church, they're just always fine. How you doing? Fine. Oh, how are you? Fine. How's it going? Fine. I'm fine. You're fine. Everyone's fine. Fine, fine, fine. It's like a fine bonanza up in here. No! Quit being fine. Fine's like a four-letter word in this church from now on. The whole reason, listen to this, listen to this and hear this. The whole reason we are here The premise that surrounds and undergirds our gathering, the very foundation of our community together here in Christ, is this reality. We declare together to one another and before God, we are not fine. I'm not fine and you're not fine. If there's one place in the world you should feel free to not be fine, it's in the church. I'll be honest with you, friends. I wasn't fine this week. This is the, the hardest. This, this past week was the hardest week for me since we moved to, to, to Oregon. I just had a tough week to deal with some stuff in me and some stuff in my life that I don't like and had to face some things. And I felt that I was, I just felt tired and weak and fearful all week and I just wrestled with it. This was a week where I was not fine. If the pastor cannot be fine, then you cannot be fine as well. In fact, sometimes... Sometimes, not being fine is the best thing for me. I find that God uses my not-fineness more than He uses my fineness most of the time. And so, friends, if you will admit, I am not fine, I promise, God will use that in your life. He will use it to grow you, and He will use that to grow His kingdom. You, it's okay to be fine, but just not always. One of the things that we're going to see in Luke throughout his two-part kind of 
work throughout his two-part series here, Luke Acts, is that in and throughout this entire story that he tells, he says the gospel story continues to grow and will advance through radical, vulnerable togetherness. A theme throughout Luke. He says, the way the gospel moves forward, the way the good news is advanced, the way God's kingdom moves in and through this world is through radical, vulnerable togetherness. This is why you never hear Jesus approach someone and say, hey, I want you to follow me. I'm putting together a little band of disciples and I want you to come and I want you to be one of them. But hey, I know you're busy. I know you really don't have time for all these kinds of activities and relationships. Plus, some of the disciples can be a real pain, can't they? Peter talks too much. Thomas is pretty negative. Judas, don't even get me started about Judas. So you can just skip the community part. Feel free to take a pass. You can just read the text and attend the lectures. And you can do this transformation thing on your own, kind of as an independent study with me. Does Jesus ever, not even once, say that to anyone in the entire Bible? No! Because following God is not and was never intended to be done in isolation. Christ following is a communal activity. There are independent, alone moments. But in general, it's something that God says we have to do together. We all need relationships that continuously seek honesty, vulnerability and transparency there is no other way to truly grow in Christ let me point something else out to you here that might seem obvious or or maybe you missed it it's from our story today Elizabeth does not simply live up the street so we're told like right away this angel comes and then the angel takes off and then Mary hurries off to see Elizabeth Elizabeth happens to be a relative. She's like a cousin, like four times removed or something. We don't really know. But she hurries off to see her. Elizabeth's not just right around the corner and up the street. Mary lives in Nazareth. That's in Galilee. That's in the north. Elizabeth lives in the hill country of Judea. That's near Jerusalem in the south. The traditional site is about five miles outside the city of Jerusalem. This would have been, friends, an 80 to 100 mile, three to five day journey, most likely through the rebel territory of Samaria. This was not a fun, safe, or comfortable trip in any way. And so if I may, I'd like to make one more point for us here before we move on. These relationships that we're talking about today, the kind of relationships that grow us and change us and transform us from the inside out, they are not always easy, they are not always convenient, and they require us to make them a priority. I believe one huge indicator of how high a priority a relationship is, is the time that you give it. If you look down to verse 56, you'll notice that Mary goes and she stays with Elizabeth for three months. Now, I'm certainly not suggesting that if you want a deep, vulnerable, transparent relationship, you should move in with your friends for three months. That might actually have the opposite impact. But I am suggesting this. Regular, consistent time together is part of the priority equation. Just get down to the facts, friends. Just get, just pull out your, your day planner, your iPhone, wherever you keep your schedule, and ask yourself this question. Are there relationships, are there people who show up on your schedule at a frequency rate that allows for depth to develop between you? 
Are there people, are there relationships that show up on your schedule at a frequency rate that allows for depth to develop between you? Or do you see people so irregularly, at such a hit or miss level, that everything always stays on the surface? Here's the challenge today. It'll run throughout this sermon. Make a few Christ-centered relationships a priority in your life. Make a few Christ-centered relationships a priority in your life. Verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. One author I read this week said this, and I just thought this was such an interesting take on this passage that I want to throw it in here for you. One author I read said, This is a kingdom, Luke's kingdom, this kingdom of God that Luke is describing. This is a kingdom where the Holy Spirit is contagious. Where the work of God and His real, passionate, powerful activity in the lives of people rubs off on others. I thought that was just an interesting way to look at this verse. Kind of crazy to think about. We've experienced that in a relationship, haven't we? You've experienced that. You've been around someone before. I, I promise most of you in this room have experienced this. Someone who's so filled up with the Holy Spirit, so close to God, so dialed in to what God is doing and how God works, that when you're around them, you catch a little of it. It rubs off on you. It encourages you. You feel like you walk away with a little more of God in your life. That's what happens here. Right? This baby that's inside Elizabeth's womb is so filled with the Holy Spirit that it just sort of spills out onto her. I'm not exactly sure that's exactly how it happened or what God's trying to say there. I thought that was a super interesting concept though. But here's what I really believe Luke is trying to say in this verse. Elizabeth is about to speak for God. The words that are about to come from her lips are not something that she engineers on her own, but words that are given to her by God to speak to Mary. The Holy Spirit is driving and powering this conversation. The very next line, verse 42, it says, In a loud voice she exclaimed. In the Greek, in the original language, that literally means that she shouted. Elizabeth Elizabeth begins to speak extremely loudly. This is the all caps portion of her email. By the way, sometime when you have a chance, go back in the scriptures. Grab a concordance and take a look. Check this out. And look at how many times loudness in the Bible is associated with divine revelation. It's an interesting corollary. When the volume goes up, there's a good chance that perhaps, just maybe, just maybe, God might be speaking. In this case, God is speaking. He's speaking to Mary here. He's speaking through this other person, through this very deep relationship that she has. Anyone here wish that they heard from God more? Is it just me, or do you, do you sometimes think, man, Lord, I wish you would speak to me more often and more directly and more clearly? Friends, maybe, maybe instead of just wishing that, maybe instead of playing the flip the Bible open and reading a random verse game, which someone, by the way, told me this morning is like, is like a Bible Ouija board. Maybe instead of playing Bible Ouija board, maybe you should just take that time and invest it in a deep, vulnerable, transparent, Christ-centered relationship because maybe that is the way that God will begin to speak more consistently into your life. Here's what Elizabeth says. Here's what God says to Mary through Elizabeth. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? 
As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. That word leapt there is the same word for skipped. You just picture little John the Baptist like skipping around the womb in there, right? I have a little four-year-old who likes to do a lot of skipping, so that's my picture here. Does anyone else find this story a bit strange? I, mean, it, I was thinking about it this week, and this is a really weird story. You've got these two pregnant ladies, these two unborn children. One of them's like barely conceived, if he's even conceived. Oh, I guess he is conceived, we know that, but we don't know how old he is. Not very old at all. The other one starts to leap and skip inside of the womb and there's this message that's given through that that this other kid is pretty special this is a very very weird interaction have you ever heard of an interaction like this before has this happened to anybody in the room no i didn't think so so the question is what would the first century readers be thinking about when they heard this story first century jewish people would have only ever heard one story like this and this would have certainly made them think of it. Does anyone know what story this story would have brought to mind for first century Jews? Any ideas? It's the only other unborn baby story in the Bible. It happens to be another story where there's a miracle pregnancy. In this story, there are twins, one named Jacob, one named Esau, and This is where the story gets a little different. These two little guys, they even have conflict when they're in the womb. Even in the womb, there's a power struggle between these two. Genesis 25, verse 22 says, The babies jostled each other, even within her, even inside of Rebecca, even inside of their mom. The conflict has already begun. And this story, from back in the beginning, from back in Genesis is a birth story that would bring further fighting and friction and strife into an already fallen world. But now, Luke, in this moment, is telling us that what is happening in this birth, in the birth of Jesus, will right the wrongs of that birth. What went wrong in that original story, in that original unborn baby story, and the strife and conflict and fallenness that came out of that, now that is all going to be handled and covered through the birth of this young baby boy named Jesus. You see, this time around, there will be no power struggle. In this birth, instead of competition for rights and glory, one will willingly serve the other and someday even speak the words, he must become greater, I must become less. Friends, when Elizabeth says to Mary, blessed are you among women, that's a simple Hebrew construction that means you are the most blessed of all women. You are the most blessed of all women. It means there is no competition here. There is no pride. There is no jealousy. There is no envy. My kid and every kid in this entire world play second fiddle to your kid. Your kid is the one who is by far and undoubtedly the great one, the Messiah, the chosen one, the Savior. No competition between us here. You know, one thing that will kill a friendship, envy, jealousy, competition. And and I know it seems a little bit strange because it's a really rare thing. But sometimes, just sometimes, parents compete with each other through their kids. I know you've never done it. A friend of mine gave me this greeting card some time ago. And I think it pretty much sums up this passage. Well, if it isn't Joseph and Mary, our son is an honor student. 
Our son is a medical student. Our son is God. (laughs) And that really is kind of the core message of this passage. There is no one like this baby. Even John the Baptist, who's called the greatest human to ever live, cannot compare with the greatness of the one that is inside the womb of Mary. Let me make this practical for us today. Relationships that help us surrender to and more fully follow God always lift up the Lordship of Jesus. Nothing will compete with the Lordship of Jesus. A a relationship that's going to push you and help you grow into being and becoming who God longs for you to be will constantly push you to make Jesus more and more and more the Lord of your life. And friends, we could say a whole lot about that today, but we're actually going to devote an entire sermon to it next week. So A, hold on to that thought, and B, don't miss next Sunday. It's going to be a fun one. Okay, final verse today. Final verse today, verse 45. This is Elizabeth still talking to Mary. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Friends, remember that Mary has just been asked to embrace something that takes some serious belief. She's been asked to embrace the fact that she, as an unwed, virgin young girl, is now going to be pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit with the Son of God. That's a lot to swallow. That's a lot to take in. I don't know about you, but for me, I would be wrestling with the reality of that. That I have a bad dinner, that I imagine this whole thing. How can this possibly be true? This takes some serious belief, some serious trust, a level of faith that I think quite frankly, most people do not have. And in this final verse, God, through Elizabeth, through this relationship is affirming Mary's faith and spurring her on to keep trusting him as she moves forward. You see, this this journey that Mary's on, this road that she's on, it's just beginning for her. Already in this story, she has trusted God in some fairly significant ways, but there are twists and turns and hardships ahead for her that she cannot even imagine. Her faith is not going to diminish. It's going to need to grow. At this point, she has no idea that she'll give birth to this baby far from home in a barn surrounded by animals. She has no idea that his life will be threatened and that she and Joseph will have to flee the country to keep him from being murdered by a jealous king. She does not know the level of opposition and threat that her son will face throughout his life. And in this moment, Mary certainly cannot imagine that someday they will arrest her her son, beat him, and that she'll stand on a hillside outside the city of Jerusalem and watch him hang on a cross and die a torturous, humiliating criminal's death. She has no idea what's ahead. But God does. God knows. Friends, relationships that help us surrender to and more fully follow God spur us on to embrace God's plan for our lives even when the road ahead is difficult. That's what Elizabeth does for Mary here. She says, remember who you are. Remember how much faith you've had and keep moving towards trusting God.
There's a point in my life uh, a number of years ago when I was in my late 20s and I had a pretty big decision to make. Um, probably one of the biggest decisions I'd had to have made at that point in my life and it was overwhelming to me. God had been clear. He had spoken. I knew exactly what he wanted me to do. That decision had been confirmed by others close to me, including my wife. And yet... The ability to make this decision was extremely difficult because it meant some serious sacrifice for me. It meant some things were going to change. Honestly, it meant that my life was going to take a turn and go in a much different direction than I ever imagined it would go. And I found myself, even though I knew what God wanted me to do, I found myself paralyzed by fear and doubt and unable to to make the final step of faith and trust Him. And one day... I'll never forget it. These feelings were just coming to a head and they were pouring in on me and I was feeling completely overwhelmed. And on that day, I remember I picked up the phone and I called Ken. Ken Dusterman. Ken was a much older guy than me. Actually, he was old enough to be my dad. We had spent about, at that point, four and a half years together in seminary. Every week we were uh, study companions and partners and I'd just gotten to know Ken over the long years and many hours of wading through theological conversations. And Ken was this balding, gray-haired, wiry, kind of quirky old guy. He had this really unique, kind of zany personality. But he had this tenderness and this warmth about him. And you could spend just a little bit of time with Ken, and you knew with a ton of confidence that this guy loved Jesus. So I called Ken. I said, Ken, I am struggling, man. Do you got any time for me? And so Ken cleared his calendar and said, meet me. I I think we met at a bagel shop. And so we meet at this bagel shop and we sat across the table from one another. And I said, Ken, I know what God wants me to do, but I am so scared. I am so uncertain. I am so plagued with doubt. I just don't know if I can do it. And I described it to him this way. It's as if I can get to the edge of the diving board, but I just can not seem to get myself to jump. And then... I just broke down. I began to cry. Um, right in the bagel shop, I just began to weep. And there's just this overwhelming feeling. And just like, I don't know what to do. And I said, Ken, I don't know what to do. What am I going to do? And then some time passed. It seemed like a long time. I don't know how long it was. Ken took a deep breath and he reached across the table. It was one of those moments. You guys have these kind of moments, right? It's one of those moments where he reached across the table and he put his hand on my arm. And he said, here's what you're going to do. You're going to follow God, Dave. Because that's who you are. That's all he said. And I'm telling you what, friends, those words and that moment and that interchange and that relationship, I believe changed my life forever. I do not know if I could have made the decision that I needed to make without that one almost seemingly insignificant time with Ken. And yet that relationship that had been building for years, God used to do something significant in my life and help me make a decision that would really change my life forever. And I've never looked back. But I'm so thankful for Ken. Friends, here's the real question today. Do you have a Ken? Is there an Elizabeth in your life? Is there a deeper, richer, more faithful life following God growing in you because of a relationship that you have that God is using to build you and grow you and push you forward? Three things today. Three potential application points. And I'm going to leave you with this. First, if you have a Ken, if you have an Elizabeth in your life, 
if you've got a person and their, their face is like burning in your brain as I'm talking and you're thinking, yeah, I got one of those people. I know who they are. If you have one of those people, friends, affirm that relationship this week. Affirm that relationship. Say to that person, you know what? I'm so thankful for you. This is who you are for me. This is who you are and this is who I need you to continue to be in my life. Do not leave a relationship like that ambiguous. Do not let it coast. Do not take your foot off the gas. If you have a Ken, if you have an Elizabeth, you speak that out this week in some way. A note, an email, a face-to-face conversation. But you make sure that you are still in the game, that you're still on the same page with that person in your life. Number two... And this is, I'm guessing, probably most of us in the room. Maybe you almost have a can. Maybe you almost have an Elizabeth. You have a relationship and you've been kind of sitting here thinking, well, that kind of sounds like it might be like my relationship with... And you're thinking about the relationship and you're playing it out and you're thinking about conversations you've had and you're trying to maybe even rationalize or justify the fact that this person is that person in your life. And they almost are, but they're not quite there. You want a good sort of test for if you have this kind of relationship? You want a good barometer kind of reading for that? I'll ask you this. When was the last time you spoke out deep, ugly, dark sin in your life to that person, eyeball to eyeball? Does that kind of interaction happen in that relationship? If the answer is yes, then you're probably there. If the answer is no, or it's been a really, really long time, then friends, I think you've got a little bit of work to do. And here's my challenge for you this week. Take, resolve to take the next step. Go to that person and say, you know, we've been friends a long time. We've been hanging out a long time. We've been having conversations a long time. But you know, there's some, there's some things on a deeper level that I'd like to get to in this relationship, you know. We've been dating for a while. Can we go steady? I don't know. Use whatever language you want. Here's what I find, friends. Just be real frank and open and honest. Just, be, just say to them real clearly, here's where I would like to see this relationship go. Here's what I'd like to get from you and give to you. Are you willing? Are you interested in going to that place with me? Chances are, they were just waiting. And if not, then, then you've got your answer. Category number three. If you're here today, and this is like a foreign concept to you, you have no relationship like this of any kind. Here's what I want to ask that you would do today. Just pray. I want to ask that you would pray every single day for a week, every single day from now until next Sunday, that God would bring a potential Ken or a potential Elizabeth into your life, and that I simply want you to wait and watch. Wait and watch. Pray, wait and watch. I promise you this. If you will pray, if you will wait, if you will watch, and you truly long to have this kind of a relationship, a person like this in your life, I promise you, God will bring someone. So that's your assignment today. And it's a serious assignment, friends, because here's what I'll say in closing. The church cannot really be the church if we just come on Sunday mornings, sit and listen and sing and hear and walk out and say, everything's just fine. It's got to go deeper than that. Maybe not with everyone in this room, but at least with a few. Is there a Ken? Is there Elizabeth in your life? If so, God will use them. If not, 
find one. You'll be blessed. Father, thank you this morning for these two women, for the courage that they have in this moment, for the relationship that they formed so that they could rely on each other when this moment arrived. God, I pray that we would be a church. That you would help us be people with the courage and boldness and tenacity to pursue these kind of relationships. I pray that when people are in our midst, they would sense something deeper to our, to our fellowship and community because there, there really is true togetherness and radical relationship that we have with one another. Holy Spirit, we yield to you. We need you. Guide us and lead us. Help us to be these kinds of people in this kind of church. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.